Today was the yard side of Yechiel, Tzvi, Ben Yitzchak. L'chaim, Shom Shabbat Neliyah. I should be good interceding on behalf of you and your family for all good. B'seich Chai Yisrael. L'chaim L'racha. Amen. Tonight is a very, very special night. It's called Miniature Purim. Small Purim, Miniature Purim. As we say in French, It's the same thing. But you know at a Brit Milah, Every Brit Milah, they say the child, Zakatan, this child, this small one, he will be great. So, in a similar way, the joy we have tonight, the joy we have in, in the small Purim, is connected to the joy of the great Purim next month and the joy of the coming Mashiach. Tonight is not just a, it's not a small night. The conclusion of the entire Code of Jewish Law is about the laws of miniature Purim. The question is, are you supposed to celebrate miniature Purim with a festive meal like we're doing tonight? Do you have to? Or don't you have to? So there are two opinions. You know, Jews always have two opinions. We don't, you know, just take things lightly like this. One opinion says, of course you have to. Other opinion says, no, why? And then there's another question. In next month, not only is there Purim, but in Shushan, in the city of Shushan, the, the Jewish people couldn't finish being destroying all their enemies on Purim. So they had, to, had they, they celebrated the day after Purim. Shushan Purim. So next month we have not just one day of Purim, we have a second day of Purim celebrated in Jerusalem. So now this Shabbat is miniature or small Shushan Purim. So the question is, do you have to celebrate small Shushan Purim? Do you have to celebrate or not? So the Code of Jewish Law concludes... And you know, the conclusion of something is very important. Conclusion of something is what classifies what it really is. So, because the conclusion of something really sh- shows the whole direction. Show me, many people without Lachayim, what's going on over here? Everybody have. No, no. Show us now. Yeah, yeah, give him a seltzer. Ever say something. Something Lachayim. Okay, I'll take a seltzer. Seltzer, kashere. Okay. So you could tell the direction where something is by where it ends. So the conclusion of the whole Code of Jewish Law is with these words. A good heart always parties. That's the conclusion of the Jewish Code of Law. You want to know how a Jew lives? A Jew lives with this, with this, with this statement. A, a good heart always feasts, always parties. And the beginning of the Code of Jewish Law, the very first words of the Code of Jewish Law is, always picture Hashem is in front of you. Always party, as our finishes, and always have Hashem in front of you. And it's connected. How, what's the best way to party? The best way to party realize you're not alone. Hashem is with you. And you've seen your life how Hashem is with you. That's the greatest joy you, you could possibly have. The question though is this. It's not so easy to always party. It sounds nice, always party. But it's not, it doesn't always work that way. In a relationship between a husband and wife, they begin their marriage with, it's going to be amazing. Wow. Honeymoon. Woohoo. Right? And then, doesn't always continue that way. In fact, it never continues that way. It's always up there, ups and downs. There are ups and downs. Let's talk about, forget about marriage. What about a young boy going to yeshiva? He's putting on tefillin for the first time. He's going to yeshiva. He thinks like, you know, this is so awesome. I'm putting on tefillin. I'm finally a member of the elite. I'm putting on tefillin. I'm finally an adult. He feels like so cool. And then after, we've all been 13. Not all of us have put on film since we're 13, but all of us have been 13. And we've idealistic, and, we're, and, 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 then, and then things go up and things, things go down. And the question is, 
it's a real question, and all of us have this experience this question. What do you do when you lose your energy? You lose your excitement. You don't have the same excitement as you had before. What happened? Oh, okay. Okay, I hope someone's, I hope they bring it. He said someone picked it up a while ago? Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, yeah, anyway, Josh, I think Josh Brenner might have picked it up. Anyone Josh Brenner's number? Josh Brenner, he might have picked it up. No? All right. So, um, you know who has Anil Anvar's number? Anil Anvar has the number of Josh Brenner, because he probably has the burgers. Mm-hmm. Call Anvar and ask him, to bring, ask, ask him to ask Josh to bring the burgers. Very important things. Sorry, we interrupt this program for advertisement about the burgers. They should be on their way, just need to contact the right burger picker-upper. Okay, so, um, so what's going on is like this. We, we get excited, we get happy, we get enthusiastic, and then things happen, and we don't have the same enthusiasm. Brenner. What do you do when that enthusiasm dissipates? What do you do? And, and, and it's what often happens is, is that you get into this thing in your head, not you, but it happens to a lot of people, that they get in this thing in their head, and, and they're stuck in this thing, that they ha- things have to be a certain way. I have to live my life, blah. There's a word in Yiddish which has no translation in any other language, but if you hear it once, you probably will get it. Farachmurit. You know? You get farachmurit. Just, 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 just think about it. Farah doesn't sound good, right? It's like it's like charabe in Farsi. Farchmurat and charabe are very related. You get farchmurat and charabe, and and you think and you get paralyzed. You get paralyzed because you think you're, you're, things have to be this way, and you can't get out of it, and you want to get up get out of it, but you don't know how, and therefore you give up hope, and you just feel like you're stopped, and if you lose hope, and you and you feel like you feel really sad, feel like you get depressed. And how do you get out of that? How do you? How could we always be in a situation like Mr. Yifrach? You know what Yifrach means? Yes. To blossom, to grow, to be excited. You got through? I don't know why, but I have his wife's number. So I left a message on her machine. Okay. Okay, don't worry. I'm sure, I'm sure somehow a we'll message will get, we'll, we'll arrive. So you, you, how do you could be in a situation you always want to blossom, you always want to grow when, when it's not that way? So this week's Torah portion gives us great insight into this. This week's Torah portion talks about the clothing that a Kohen wears. Who wears a Kohen? You have a Kohen here? Oh, we got a Kohen. David Kohen, Baruch Hashem. Now, in order to, this week's Torah portion is about how to become a Kohen. Now, you can't really become a Kohen if you're born as a Kohen, but even if you're born as a Kohen, you're not automatically a Kohen. You have to do stuff to, become a, to, to be part of the service. And this week it talks about what you need to do. What you need to do, number one thing, Number one thing is, wear the clothing of a Kohen. If you wear the clothing of a Kohen, then you go into the service. question is, what's the big thing of wearing clothing? Why is clothing the thing? We, we all live in L.A., we all know that clothing isn't the thing. There are many people that wear lots of beautiful clothing, and they're ugly inside. Some people which are very, very ugly clothing, and they're really beautiful inside. Clothing makes the men. That's not true. <laughs> it seems, but you know what, Barry? We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. That's a question. Question is the word in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word for clothing is beget. Beget also means treacherous. Why does clothing mean treacherous? Because clothing portrays one thing, but what's going on inside isn't always the same. One of my children once said to me, "You know, Tati, you know that teacher in the school always looks so nice and so sweet. They're not." <laughs> So that's the way they, 
but but is it possible? I mean, we all sometimes you're, you're working with your your boss, and your boss humiliates you, and you feel like you can't really like reclaim your dignity. You're working with your your, your situation with your spouse, and you don't. Can you are you able to set a time every day to study Torah? Can you go over to your neighbor and inspire them to generously give to something when you know your gener- your neighbor is such a um, miserly kind of person? Can you really make an impact and really do something? Really have an impact? So. This week's Torah portion gives us a very, very powerful insight from the, from the, from the clothing of the coin. Let's go a little more detail in the clothing of the coin first. In order to be, if you're a coin, you have a coin specimen over here. Look, everyone look at a coin. You want to look what a coin looks like? There's David Cohen. It's not his real name, of course, because no one could possibly be named David Cohen. It's like Maish Levin. It's just a pretend name. You use that name like John Doe, whatever. But let's say, let's say it was his name, David Cohen. So, so David Cohen... He um, wants to go into the service, and he told, comes, shows up at the base of Migdash, shows up at the temple, and says, okay, David, you've got to wear the clothing. Okay, I'll put on me, put it on. No, 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 no. You've got to first go to the mikvah. You've got to go into a immerse in the mikvah to go put on the clothing. What? Just put it? No. I, I, I don't need the mikvah. I'm just going without... The, no, David, if you're walking without the clothing, death penalty, Chassashol. Death penalty. Whoa, 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 whoa. Guys, 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 relax over here. Easy tiger. I'll wear the clothing. I'll put, go to the mikvah. Where, uh, uh, where did they get the clothing? Oh, we have these special people that dedicate their life, they dedicate their time, and they think that when they make the clothing, you can't just get the clothing from China, you know, can't, oh, made in China. No, you don't find that in the labels in the Beit HaMikdash. No, made in China. So you have to have special people who are dedicating their time and their hearts and their minds for the temple. It's going to be made for the temple, and then it's kosher. Are we going to you, uh, text Neil Nambar to ask Josh Benner to bring the... Thank you. It has to be fitting. Not only that, if you're wearing something, you're wearing something, you have this nice wristband or something, you take, take it off. Nothing can be separating between you and the clothing. You have to take it off. If it has to be touching you. The clothing has to be touching. The question is, why is it so important? There's a friend of mine. This guy comes to a synagogue, and he's one of those people who's wearing like red and blue and yellow and green hair. And he says to my friend, the Rabbi, he says, Rabbi, you know why I wear all this different color hair? Because I want to show the world, I don't care about the world. I want to show the world that I'm, 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 the world doesn't matter. I could do it. I could dress how I want. My friend saw this guy, was a little intelligent guy. So he decided to speak to him, you know, Dugri. Dugri means like all the way, all the way straight. Frank. He said to him, listen, how do you know what a person needs? By what they look for. A person looking for food, you know they're hungry. A person looking for Asking for money, you know they need money. A person is in a, in a classroom, a little child in a classroom, and they're acting up in the classroom. What does that show? It shows they need attention. They want attention. If someone is wearing something in the street and they want everyone to notice them, what does that say about them? It's so, huh? They, they, they do care. They care, and they need. They're looking for attention and honor and respect, and they don't have honor and respect in themselves. They're looking for others to give them the respect, to give them attention. And, that, and, that, and that's what the cousin, so my, the guy really got it. He says, okay, Rabbi, you got me? Teach me about how to find meaning in life. And this actually was a pivotal moment for him, and it really brought him up. But, but getting back to the clothing of the Kohen, there are two reasons the commentaries say the Kohen have to wear these special clothing. Reason number one is for the audience. What does that mean? We want to have the Jewish people to think the temple is really cool. It's a glorious place. How do we think it's a glorious place? If it looks glorious, if it looks like a glorious, amazing place where everyone is, you know, like, like doing, looks dressed in this amazing way, then that tells us this is a special place. That's reason number one. The Evan Ezra, the Bramban, it's a second reason. Second reason is this. It's not just for the audience. 
is also for the for the Kohen in themselves. For the Kohen to feel that he's doing something special, as Beryl was saying, the clothing makes the man. When you put on the clothing, it does have an effect on you. It does have an effect on you. There's a friend of mine in his community, there's a guy who has a very, very difficult situation with his wife, court battle, custody, and the guy's whole life is a mess. He, and he's, a, he's an eye surgeon, very one of the top eye surgeons, and he... Um, has to do this intricate surgeries himself, and my friend asked him, tell me, like, you have so much on your head, I know what's on your head, how in the world do you just, just like, take into your hands the responsibility of someone's eye like that, when when you know, like, it's, it, and you have so much, you have so much bothering you. So he said, when I put on the doctor's coat, I'm a different person, a different person. A friend of mine uh, runs a seminary in Israel, and he, he got called back to a few years ago to join the Israeli army as a reserve in the reserves. And he said, you know, it's it's a little difficult. You're you're there in charge of the seminary. You're like telling everyone, you you teacher, you teach this, you 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 janitor, you do that, you bus driver, you do that, you cook, you do this. And then all of a sudden he's supposed to like listen to this twenty year old sergeant, push ups now, you twenty push ups, fifty jumping jacks, all right, turn around, turn your back up straight. Like how did you he said just putting on the clothing of the army? Made him feel already like, like made him feel different. Made him feel, let's just put on the clothing of the arm. But there's something deeper to the clothing of the coiner. Something very relevant to us. Let me tell you. Let me say this: there were these two tzaddikim, Ramelchan and Bzusha, and they had this question. You know, on Shabbat, every Jew feels different. Every Jew feels different on Shabbat. The question is, what makes you feel different? Is it the is it the is it the clothing that you're wearing? Is it the prayers that you're saying? Is it the food that you're eating? Or is it actually the day of Shabbat that makes you feel different? Is it real to the day of Shabbat? Or is it still with all the props? They didn't know. They thought maybe we're doing this, and we're just doing this. We're not really getting to the light of Shabbat. We're just getting to the food of Shabbat. We're just, getting, we're just saying the words of... But it's, not, it's not really like we're experiencing Shabbat. There was a tzaddik, Rabbi Yisrael of Rizim. He was learning in the Torah a question. The question is, what do you do if you're lost in the desert, and you don't know what day is Shabbat? So the Talmud discusses it. So this boy... Whenever there was any question that the commentaries would ask, um, anyways, make a long story short, this boy says, I don't get it. So the teacher says like this, you go on a trip, you go on in the desert, and you're going for many days, you can't tell which day it is, and so you don't know what day is Shabbat. I said, like, I don't get it. So what don't you get? So how could they not know what day is Shabbat? He says, let me try again. You're going in the desert, and you forget your, your, your iPhone, and you forget your Android, and you're in the desert, and you're traveling for a couple of days, and you're going to, waking up and going to sleep, and it's dark, and... It, I don't get it. So why don't you? Why don't you get it? Just look at the sky. This boy was a tzaddik, even as a child, he could see in the sky at Shabbat. But these these rabbis, they said, let's see if it's we really feel Shabbat or it's just the props. So they did the whole thing, and they felt like it was Shabbat, and that means a problem. That means that it's not real. It's just because of the props. So they went to the rabbi. The rabbi was Mizit Shemaget, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tev. He said, Rabbi Mizit Shemaget, what should we do? We went, and we did all this, and it feels like Shabbat. He had one question for them. Did you wear the clothing of Shabbat? The clothing you wear on Shabbat? They said, yes. Ah, the clothing itself has some sanctity to it. The clothing makes you feel Shabbat because it has something of Shabbat in it. So therefore, it's justified. So this is an important point. Why is it an important point? In, in Tanya, the founder of Chabad Hasidus, the founder of Chabad philosophy, talks a lot about the makeup of a human being. We have a wheel, a, uh, a wheel, we have a motor, and we have clothing. Our mind is our wheel. 
Our mind dictates to us, go this way, go, don't go that way, right? That's our mind. Depending on what we think, that's the direction we go. But once we decide to go somewhere, it doesn't necessarily mean that we actually go there. We have to be excited about going there. So we think about something, then it motivates our feelings. So intellect evokes emotions. You think about something for a while, and then you feel differently. It makes you excited about it. Your thoughts produce feelings. Your feelings produce action. Yeah. When, when you do an action, you're actually making a connection with Hashem. The author says that the greatest connection you have with Hashem is with the actions. With saying the words, doing the actions, thinking the thoughts. Your emotions and your intellect are great. They're nice, they're nice, nice, nice things to feel. But your wings that I lift you up are your clothing. Your clothing is your thought, speech, and action. What you actually think about, what you actually speak about, what you actually do, those are your wings. Now, you could have wings and not flap them. But if you put on the clothing of, the, of your soul and you say words of Torah, it brings you somewhere. That's the meaning. Someone asked al Tareb this question. What do I do? I'm dry. al Tareb said, put on the holy clothing. In other words, jump in the water. Jump over the, just do the actions. And it's a really powerful message. It doesn't seem such a powerful message, because I know more than one of us is thinking, Rabbi, I know you're saying that your heart changes when you do actions, but I tried it. Eh. Does it? Is that true? Is you tried it? It feels that way, you know? I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a story. Sometimes it feels that way. You, put, you do the actions, but... Let, let's go through, let's go through the whole... Before I get to tell you, tell you a story, let me tell you this, the, the whole... How, what, what happens often. person thinks, you know... I can't stand this pattern of doing dry and boring things. I want to be excited about my marriage. I want to be excited about my, my religion. I want to be excited about the Torah I'm doing. So you say to, to yourself, well, I have to change the way I think and the way I feel. And you're like, well, how am I going to do that? It's, it's impossible. It's, it'll take forever. So you say, oh, I'm just going to do it. You're just going to do it. But is that really going to change the way you feel? Are you really just going to do it again and again? How long will it take? How long will it take? I'll tell you a story. Oh, Shalom Aleichem Abarach. This is Abarach's first debut in Beis Betzal since his birthday. So say Yalach Chaim for Abarach's birthday. Shas Atzlacha Begashmi Yusuf Ruchni Yisgam Yocha. Yalach Chaim Chaim Rach. Before before we continue and tell you the story, I want to give us a bracha Abarach. Amen. Amen. Shalom. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Baruch. Oh, thank me. I'll tell you a story. <laughs> Rabbi Meshulam Weiss and his wife, before they got married, they went into the Rebbe's room for private audience, as many couples do, but to get a bracha. And the Rebbe asked them if they speak Yiddish. And the husband says, Meshulam says, I speak Yiddish. And his wife says, I don't speak Yiddish, I speak English. So Rebbe said, okay, I'll speak to the husband in Yiddish. I'll speak to the wife, the kala, the bride-to-be, in English. A few seconds pass, and the bride starts crying. And the bride says, could he go out of the room, please? Pointing at her, at her, at her groom-to-be. Could he tell him to leave? And the Rebbe looks at him like... And so he gets it. He goes out of the room. And the Rebbe's secretary, Rebbe Groner, sees the groom leave. The bride's still there. He's like, what are you doing here? Why aren't you there? Uh, the Rebbe told me to leave. She wanted me to leave. Like, it was very embarrassing. Why did she want me to leave? I, I don't know. Anyways, eventually she calls him back in the room. The Rebbe gives him a blessing, a lot of great blessings, that, um, and um, to have many children, and many other blessings. Either way, 
the custom is that a week before your wedding, you don't see your bride. They made an exception to see the Rebbe, so they were there, but afterwards they didn't see each other till their chuppah, till their ceremony. After the ceremony, the custom is the groom and the bride go alone into a room, and they go in the room. What thing is first question is, what in the world did it happen over there? What happened? So she said, "This, listen, I uh, I pray they won't be upset at me, but I wanted to call off the whole thing. Why do I want to call off the whole thing? I am what in Yiddish is called a machshefa. You know, machshefa is." Machshev, someone's always farchmurit. Remember farchmurit? Okay. <coughs> farchmurit, someone's always, always irritable and nasty, right? I was able to put on a good show f- for you for a while, but you're a very nice guy, and I feel bad for you because you're going to eventually discover that I'm a machshefa. You're going to discover that I'm really a cruel person, and I'm going to make your life miserable. You're going to divorce me. It's going to be bad for you, and I feel bad for you. I just felt bad for you. I told the Reb, I, I told the Rebbe I want to call it off because I am just a cruel, cruel person with terrible character traits. It's always about me, 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 and I just felt bad putting you through it. That's what she told the Rebbe, and the Rebbe smiled, and the Rebbe said, "You're going to have many children, and your children will teach you patience. And until you have your first child, you should volunteer at a hospital, preferably a children's hospital, and." And through this, this will your children will teach you patience. That's what I said. Okay. Now this girl, the wife of Rabbi Weiss of Shalom, is she went to a school called Beit Yaakov, very very religious school, very religious school. Six months after they're married, living in Florida, then she's not pregnant yet, and for her that was like fire alarms. How could it be six months and she's still not pregnant? So 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 they went to a fertility expert, they went to a doctor, the doctor sits them down, and he tells them the following. The doctor says to them, you're not going to be happy with what I have to tell you, but I have to tell it to you. It's a sobering message, but it's better I tell it to you than you don't know. There's no way you're ever going to have children. You have what's called a condition called an infantile womb. That means the womb never developed. Since the womb never developed, so therefore it's impossible if you ever have children. It's, it, don't try to get a treatment. It's not going to help. No matter what you do, it's impossible if you ever have children. Wow. Imagine that was like a lightning on a clear day. So they go home, they're totally broken, and her husband, Mishulam, says, let's go ask a second opinion. So they went to a more senior, experienced OBGYN, uh, and he says, he concurs, he concurs. There's nothing to talk about. You have an infantile womb, it's impossible for you to have... To have to. So he calls the Rebbe's office and tells her what happened, and a month later, she's pregnant with her first child. She's pregnant with her first child, and she succeeds to have 15 children altogether. Baruch Hashem, 15 children. <laughs> Interesting postscript of the story. In her 40s, as her body is going through some changes, as women, women have in their 40s, later, 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 40s, whatever, she goes in to the gynecologist for an examination and the procedure and whatever, and a test. The gynecologist says, I, feel, I really feel bad for you. Why do you feel bad for me? I feel bad for you because, by the way, I forgot to mention. Get, I forgot to mention that the um, the uh, the doctor who gave them the second doctor, the senior doctor, he was the one who delivered all fifteen of her children. That same doctor. Anyways, so she comes out of she she, she doctor. I feel bad for you because you religious women, you 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 um, you re, it's really important to you to have children, and I know that you didn't have any children. He could still, she's already had 15 children, and he could still see it's impossible for her to have children. Anyways, so what the Rebbe said to her was, your children will teach you patience. 
Why is it? Wow, Mashiach is here. Okay, that's just to conclude before we go break into the hamburgers. So why is it that sometimes you get into a pattern that works and it changes you? Sometimes you get into a pattern that doesn't work. Let's conclude with this and we'll go. And I don't want to be separating between Jews and their meat. Ninety seconds, I'll conclude. The test in the Talmud. If you do things for the wrong reasons, eventually you'll do them for the right reasons. But the words of the Talmud are very specific. It doesn't say if you do them. It says inside, mitoch, inside the wrong reasons is the right reasons. It means even though I have some kind of selfish motive in my mind, but inside me there's a desire to do the, the mitzvah because I want to connect to Hashem. Although I'm thinking about the the honor and the prestige and the fringe benefits and the kickbacks that I'll have from doing this mitzvah, but deep down in my in, inside me, my soul wants the mitzvah itself. The previous Rebbe even said that even people like who criticized Judaism and, and they made fun of it, like Isaac Bashev Singer and Shlomo Lechem, and they, and they wrote about Judaism in such a like derogatory way, he said inside, inside their soul, they wanted it, they wanted it, they wanted it, they wanted, it. They wanted to talk about it, they wanted to connect with it. Here's this thing. Here's the thing. If you go through the motions, let's say you want to become a kind person, you want to become a generous person. If you're doing the motions of generosity because you want to feel it, you will get feel it. it will, you'll reach it. If you're just doing the motions to get it over with, it's going to have a hard time getting to your heart. The actions that are done in a way that you, with intent, and I want to get closer, I want to put on the holy clothing because I want it to go inside me and put the holy, holy words and holy actions. You always have the power to push away all the negative thoughts in your mind and to realize that Hashem loves you and that all the dirt that you may have been in and all have been in, etc., you have a pure holy soul and you could put on the holy clothing. Hashem is waiting for each of us to put on the holy clothing of Torah and mitzvot and on the month, and they have Purim Katan to put on the thoughts, the holy thoughts of happiness. In English, happiness comes to the word happen. Happen. Whatever happen. Why are we happy? Because the things that happened to us. But in Judaism, the word happiness is besimcha, no besimcha. The same letters as machshava, as our thoughts. It's a machzadic thought, taught that it's our thoughts of joy and our words of joy, our action, our externals, our koach makiv, our power just externally show up, it brings us to the simcha. But what does it bring us to the simcha? When you want to get there. You just bring, put a smile on your face. You just go through the motion, you put on film. You do things that bring you happiness and you want to get there, you'll get there. You'll get there. Chem shel pasol, we should get there. And today is the day of Purim, the day of, of the transformation of darkness to light and and agony to joy should have the emes simcha the coming Mashiach and all the em simcha and all the homans should be destroyed and we should see the true victory of Am Yisrael victory of Eretz Yisrael Kodem Mamish L'chaim 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 L'cha